Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the search for the next head coach wages on as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 42. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where former NFL scout Dan Hatman and I explore the scouting process and find out exactly what NFL scouts are doing this time of year with the All-Star Games right around the corner. And more importantly, what are scouts doing as the decision makers for NFL teams are searching for the next head coach. It's a great discussion with Dan. Next up, we've got two technique where Eagles cornerback EJ Bigger stops in to talk about the difference between playing press and off coverage and what are the best and worst parts about playing both techniques as a cornerback on the outside. And then last up, we've got Saturday scouting looking through my notes on Eagles linebacker Jordan Hicks during his time at the University of Texas. But before we get into all that, it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room, the man with a plan, my esteemed producer, Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? How are you, sir? Good, good. It's an uh, exciting time, obviously, with the offseason and everything going on. Uh, what is going on upstairs? I feel like we've both been running around in meetings and, and all, everything else. What, we what's got the, the uh, All-Star on? Games coming up. Sure. Uh, Shrine Game, obviously, next week. You'll be down there with uh, with Alex and, and Carson and Ray, and then, then we following week we're going to uh we're going to senior bowl obviously a lot of people committing i saw uh of course uh connor cook didn't didn't know. Uh, didn't, yeah. didn't take his invitation so God, i can't i can't agree with that decision i i was I, I wanted to ask you i was like i wanted to, I wanted to see what fran thought about that well think about all the guys i mean you've been going down this is what you're <coughs> this, this is your third? Be my third year yep. okay so think about the last three years and who were the quarterbacks that have said no it's been aj mccarron uh geno smith Guys that have fallen in the draft. They've, been, they've had the ability to help themselves yeah, they, by just I, putting more stuff on tape. I don't know if there's any. Especially being under an NFL coaching. Right. Guys talk, you know, so sure. they'll say, hey, man, he was down there for a week and he gave it his all. And I don't know of any quarterbacks that have gone to the senior bowl and hurt themselves over the last five or six years. E.J. Manuel yeah, got from, himself from, from in the, the top round. ten pick. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So. Let's get into the rest of the show here. I'm very, very excited to get into my first guest of the offseason. It's Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy. Let's get to Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Really excited to be joined by Dan Hatman. He's the Director of Scouting Development at the Scouting Academy. He did it in the league for the Jets, the Giants, and yes, the Philadelphia Eagles. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Hatman. Dan, it's a, uh, a crazy time of the offseason. I know you're down at the AFCA Coaches Convention down in San Antonio. I was hoping to be a part of that uh, convention and go down there. But unfortunately, with the Eagles coaching search and everything going on here in Philadelphia, could not take part. But with everything that's going on right now, the number one question, you were here the last time the Eagles were searching for a new head coach, so you can really speak to this. What do scouts do throughout this process during the coaching search? What is the role of the scout? And obviously there's pro in, in college, but overall, what are you guys doing right now at this stage? Yeah, again, there's a, you know we do have to split it up a little bit between the pro and the college side. Uh, the college guys, not much changes. Uh, so we've just gone through all the you know the bowl season. Obviously, the games, including last night, uh, we're getting ready for the All Star Circuit, you know, Shrine Game, Senior Bowl, NFLPA, what have you. And so this is a period of time where a lot of the college guys are doing work on juniors that are declaring. You know, trying to get all the elements ready on that. Uh, which is a, a huge part of the process for them. 
you know, sometimes you can get a little bit ahead of guys that, you know, about 99% sure they're going to come out, but other ones that are you know, a little more of a coin flip, you know, you got to wait and do your due diligence afterwards. Uh, so the college guys are busy on that, obviously going to get through the all-star circuit, another great opportunity to start the interview process with some of these players, get to meet them and know them better as people, obviously leading up towards the combine uh, and then through pro days and everything else. The college side doesn't change a whole lot uh, with a coaching search. Um, on the pro side, you're trying to prepare for free agency. So you were trying to make sure that you have not just one, not just two, three or more grades on every free agent. You cross-checked them. You thoroughly understand them. You started to prioritize uh, that board against what your draft board looks like so you can start analyzing, all right, uh, we think maybe this position is a little thin in the draft. We would like to address it. That's an uncertain market for us on whether or not we'll gain access to a player that we think can help us in the next uh, 12 to 24 months. So maybe we need to approach free agency at that position, start analyzing that. Do we need to be in a top-tier free agent position? Can we come down to a second or a third band, what have you? Uh, But there's always that caveat with a coaching search of uh, when you are evaluating players, you need to evaluate them within the context of how that head coach and how that set of coordinators wants to apply them. So, yes, to your point, I was here when we had departed from Andy Reid's systems into Chip Kelly's. You know, I graded 1,200 players that year, and, you know, I'm grading them for what I perceive to be, you know, the continuation of, of Andy's tenure, his offense, his defense, his special teams. When Chip comes on, it's an entirely different model. And so you have to, uh, in my opinion, you have to move from those final valuation grades of, you know, um, where we think this player might be on a certain board down to what I refer to as trait grades. What can, can this player do? What does this player struggle with? So that when that coaching search completes and when that individual walks in, sets their staff, and you have that ultimate staff meeting determining this is where we want this position to look like, this is where we want this position to look like, et cetera, you can start applying what you've learned of these players through the free agent prep season and the draft prep season to what this coach's models look like. The, the, the analogy that I've always used over the past few years, whenever people ask me this question, uh, whenever these coaching searches happen, is it's almost you, know, you go back to that Bill Parcells, you know, shopping for the groceries. And, the, you know, if, the, if the, the recipe for a championship, really the scouts, what they're doing right now is they're just kind of searching the inventory at the supermarket and saying, okay, you know, you've got uh, X amount of meats, you've got X amount of poultry, you've got X amount of bread. And then when the coach comes in and he says, okay, here's the recipe I need, now the, the scouts can provide, okay, well, yeah, we've got, we've got the, this amount, of, these guys that can fit in a 3-4. We've got these guys that can fit in a press coverage scheme at the cornerback position. We've got this kind of running back that can fit in a gap style. So now it's really just the scouts are doing a good job of, of highlighting what are the strengths and weaknesses of certain players, regardless of scheme. And then once the coach gets into, into the fold, now you try and tailor it to what the coach needs. Now, uh, you know, the only caveat I have to that, and I don't know if caveat's the right word for it, I think that methodology is what should be applied every year from the standpoint of your scouts uh, are not there to determine who they want per se, because they're not the ultimate decision maker. The ultimate decision makers are the two or three guys at the top of the organization that are setting the agenda. So when you're approaching this process as a scout, the, the best organizations follow this methodology. The, the scouts and the general manager ultimately work for the values and the beliefs of the head coach. And your job is to provide them with the assets needed to uh, work at the highest possible level. When you start having a breakdown between your coaches and your executive level, you know, obviously bad things can happen. So it's 
from a scouting perspective, we should always be approaching this as what are the pros and cons of the player? What can they do? What can't they do? Why, when, where on the field do these things manifest themselves? Such that even if we're, we have a coach who's been with us for a number of years, let's, let's take the Giants, for example, they changed from Kevin Gilbride to Ben McAdoo at the offensive coordinator position, and that actually changed some of the ways that they wanted to approach things, like the wide receiver position, for example. And so, you know, that's a tweak within a system, even with a stable head coaching environment, that you still needed to go to your scouts and adjust, hey, this is how we're going to prioritize certain traits. I just truly believe that trait-based approach is the best way for scouts to approach their job and not miss on prospects. When scouts go in and try to be like, oh, this guy can't play or whatever, and make that ultimate valuation, that's when they drop the ball. So, Dan, at this point in the scouting process, we're approaching the All-Star Game circuit. So now, next week, for instance, we will be down at the East-West Shrine Game. The following week after that is the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. At those games, obviously, a lot of the scouts have already watched you know, X amount of game film on each of these players. Coaches, Some coaches are getting their first exposure, uh, at least a, 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 certainly in a live setting. What are scouts looking for at these games? What are the, the main uh, talking points as they prepare to go to each of these events? I think a little bit is dependent on the level of competition the individual had during the course of the season, what traits were able to be determined off of film, and what question marks remain. So, if you have a player that was playing at the highest levels, you had quality film against quality opponents, you saw all the traits, then when you go to the senior bowl for that individual player, you're looking for them to just uh, check off all the boxes from the standpoint of all the things you saw on tape. They went ahead and showed again, verify you know, your film. And then a lot of it ends up being how they carry themselves in practice, um, what the interview process looks like with them when you talk with them after practice or in the evening times, what those things you glean from them. And the individual practices may not impact anything for you. Obviously, when you drop down, and last year was a great example of an Ali Marpet out of Hobart, where you didn't have great film, you didn't have great level of competition, you have a guy that's displaying traits, but it's hard to get an apples-to-apples comparison. Senior Bowl was the, the only opportunity for you to get to that standpoint. How does he match up against individuals that we have evaluated uh, from the you know SEC, from the Pac-12, what have you? Um, and so that was a fantastic opportunity for that individual that worked, scouts were watching everything he did there to make sure that the traits uh, and ultimately the production matched up against what you, you thought you saw in other situations. Uh, for certain positions, um, you know, offensive and defensive line, it's a little bit harder. The, the practice settings aren't going to give you everything. You know, those units have to gel. It's not necessarily as one-on-one. You can watch one-on-one in the pit, but it's a fun thing for scouts to do in terms of transferable skills. Um, an individual rusher's success in a one-on-one situation uh, in the pass pro pit is going to be different than when they're facing an entire five, six, seven-man protection uh, scheme on a game day. So you know, it's not necessarily that you're gleaning everything from it. Uh, but really, the, the scouting, the college directors that I've spoken with that, that really have maximized the process go in with very specific questions that were not able to be answered on film. Uh, they have a very specific plan for how they want to attack that, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's all right, this player, we need to answer these two questions. This player, we need to answer these five questions. This player, we just want to see how he reacts in general. And they go in and they make sure they check all those boxes. What is it? This is obviously a very overlapping question. There's lots of different answers to this. But are there, is there some, a specific scenario where one prospect, you know, something may happen at one of these games that's going to send him flying up a board or send him dro- dropping down the board? You know, a lot of people like, like to talk about, you know, a player's stock and uh, throughout the entire draft process. And obviously that stock can rise and fall throughout the fall. 
But once we get into the offseason, uh, it doesn't change too, too much, right? But what happens at these games that could potentially make a guy rise or fall in a very drastic sense? So if you have evaluated the film and you have identified what you perceive to be a weakness in this individual's game, and that ultimately inhibited you know, their, their final valuation from being high on your board. So let's say you've got a guy who's pegged in the fourth round or something. And he goes out there and actually disproves the film. And he shows that he actually has those skills. And maybe it was the scheme or the circumstances that he was playing in during the course of the season that was inhibiting his production, not a physical skill set. Now, all of a sudden, you are open to the fact that maybe he has more tools than you had perceived on film, and therefore stock could rise. Uh, so we talk about that there's opportunities within systems for players um, to have a decreased production based on what they're being asked to do. It's plausible in certain situations. Uh, maybe a defensive lineman who's playing in a system that asks him, on, at least on first and second down, to be reactionary. We talk about the traditional two gaps. You know, you're going to be head up on an offensive lineman. You're waiting to see what they do. You're catching, uh, extending your arms, creating separation, finding the ball, shedding, tackling. Well, that doesn't lend itself to being an upfield, penetrating, disruptive player. And so maybe that individual has that skill set, but they're not being asked to use it. So when you watch the film, you can't determine if they have it or not. Now, all of a sudden, they're in the senior bowl. They're out there. They're like, hey, just you know, get off the ball and go make something happen. Now, all of a sudden, the guy's doing that. You didn't get a chance to see that on the film. Now, you see it in practice. Now, maybe that fourth-round grade, you want to start moving up closer to the second round or something like that. Dan, how much in the grand scope does the actual game in these situations really matter? I mean, if you were to create a pie chart and you talk about uh, the value that you get from different stages of these all-star games, whether it be the practice sessions, uh, the, the actual measurements and measurables for all of these players, the interview sessions and you know, getting, re- getting uh, exposed to these players one-on-one in, in a more intimate type setting, and then also the games, what, what, how do those, uh, those responsibilities or how do those phases of the event, how do you prioritize them? I think you would ideally like to say that everything has its place and everything is going to have a certain amount of weight to it. And you'd like to think of the game as being something that can be uh, meaningful. I guess the biggest indication that I get for the meaning of the game is the fact that the vast majority of the NFL personnel people are gone by the time the game is played. And so it's something that you catch on tape uh, literally when it gets sent to you and you process it and see a few things. But no one's staying to watch the game live from a large percentage of people. All right, so Dan, the final question I have for you is, has there ever been a point during your career, a certain player that comes to mind that really, really stood out to you at one of these games, both in a positive or in a negative, in either one, uh, that really helped or hurt themselves? Is there one partic- uh, particular case that specifically that you may recall from during your career? Yeah, I happen to... to remember an Andre Ellington and I don't know if an help his draft pocket injury history things that, that hurt that but all of the running backs that particular year uh, were sitting there in Mobile and this is a year that had Monty Ball and Levian Bell and Eddie Lacy and all these guys that have been productive players but when you got a chance to see a guy like Andre his footwork his burst his acceleration things that you were leaning on someone you got to have a side-by-side comparison you know, those tools stood out. Unfortunately, his injury history has, you know, ultimately kept on with him at the pro level. Uh, but this is an individual that, from a physical skill set and the way he was able to apply that to a technical standpoint, uh, really stood out among the pack. 
Great stuff from Dan. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Hatman. Dan, I will see you down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Thanks again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Great stuff from Dan. As most of you know, you can follow him on Twitter again at Dan underscore Hatman. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. Give me a follow if you like what you're hearing on this podcast. I tweet out the links to this show, all the other podcasts I'm a part of, the Eagle Eye in the Sky column, and a whole lot more. So be sure to go and check that out. And you know, I really appreciate everybody that gives us love and promotes us on the social media networks. Uh, let's get to the rest of the show here with Two Technique, Eagles cornerback EJ Biggers, and off coverage. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique. Here now with Eagles cornerback EJ Biggers. And EJ, uh, one of the big things we've talked about in the past about playing cover three, and I wanted to ask you this time about playing off coverage and what are the technique points that go with playing off coverage from the cornerback position? Uh, the biggest thing in technique-wise, uh, and it's something our coach preaches, Coach Underland preaches this all the time, your eyes. I mean, when you're off, you're playing, most of the time you're playing man-to-man. When, you, when you're in off-man coverage, you're, you're, that's your guy. So, I mean, your eyes are the biggest thing. That if you key in on your guy, you lock in with your eyes, your feet will go where they need to go, and your body will take you, I mean, go where it needs to go. But when your eyes are at the quarterback and you're trying to play a guy man-to-man, I mean, you kind of get out of whack sometimes. But like I said, the biggest thing uh, with off-man is your eyes. When you do that, I mean, everything else follows. You might have bad feet on the play, but if your eyes are right, you, you'll, you'll have a chance to contest that play. So you, you would say that the eyes are more important than the feet. Well, when you look at the feet, what are the big things that you, if you want everything to be clean technique-wise, uh, that you want from a cornerback's footwork and off coverage? Uh, just don't get outside of the framework of your body when you're breaking. I mean, that's where, whichever angle you're taking to break. If you get um, out of the framework of your body, you kind of t- slip a little bit, like I said. You, a lot of times, that's when guys get their growings a little bothered. Uh, but like I said, those, those are the things that kind of, kind of get you out of whack and I mean a guy will get a step on you or anything but if you stay within the framework or your your body and your your lower half of your body I mean your your breaks will be uh, crisp and like I said you'll you'll come out of them a lot smoother than you would when you like I said you get out of the framework of your body last question for you what, what's harder press or off as a cornerback it depends who you're guarding there you go. <laughs> depends who you're guarding I mean with some of those guys that are quick off the line uh, press is hard with those guys but I mean I prefer press a lot more than being off because like you said a double move in and off I mean you get you one step and the guy's over your head but when you're impressed I mean you're a lot closer to a guy and you can feel him and things like that off you can't really feel him but like I said there's different guys different preferences when Asante was here he was a guy who would love to be off and he played Champ Bailey same way those guys mastered that technique but just me I would rather be up touching you a little bit make you uh, 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 get into your route a lot quicker than being off and you get to play with me a little bit right great stuff there from ej and i think i think he might be he might be the first player repeat that you've done done this season i I enjoy talking to ej especially he told us about his time uh down in uh, in tampa and just with raheem morris and stuff sure and he had a lot of great things to say and it was it was just interesting getting that uh you know he was drafted down there so he just talked about how they were 10 and 6 they almost made the playoffs that one year josh freeman was the quarterback down there and then Obviously, you know they didn't start well the next couple of years, and then he got fired. But it was it was it was interesting talking to him about a, a different regime, a different uh, different time in his life. Yeah, no question about it. All right, well, EJ did such a great job of breaking down 
off coverage. So I'm going to quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast. It's really, really simple. If you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on the Eagles website and you like what you hear, it's really simple. You just go to your phone. You can go to your your laptop, whatever device you're using. Find the local podcast app. Search for Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Hit subscribe, and the show will get downloaded to your device each and every week, free of charge. You can listen whenever and wherever you want. You can do all kinds of things uh, in the background as you're listening to the podcast. Uh, BT was the one who introduced me to podcasts, and I really have not tuned into content the same way since. I really, really think that podcasts are the wave of the future. BT. Hey, I love doing. I love doing listening to the podcast while I'm folding my laundry, doing my laundry, a little cleaning. So I, I use it, I use it as you know. A little, How long little, does it take you to fold your laundry? Takes me a while. <laughs> takes me a while because I'm, I'm usually watching TV and listening to something else going on. So. Uh, well, let's get to the rest of the show here. Let's wrap things up on the new version, the newest edition of our Saturday Scouting segment. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, Bay, a new twist on this segment. You know, we've in the past, we've talked with college football and NFL draft experts and beat writers from around the country. And then it's been mostly about matchups over the course of the past few weeks, but with college football season in the review mirror, new twist here on this segment in the Saturday scouting. And I think what we're going to try and do now is focus on Eagles players. For the time being, we'll yep. focus on Eagles players yep. and their notes that I took on them from when they were in college during the NFL draft process. So uh, a, a guy who I'm interested about, and I loved him when we saw him down in the Senior Bowl, Jordan Hicks. What did you think about Jordan Hicks when we were down there? So he was obviously one of my favorite players uh, throughout the draft last year, and I, I talked about him whenever I got the chance to. Uh, listed at six oh one three, so six foot one and three eighths inches, six oh one three, two hundred and thirty five pounds. He finished in the top five at his position in every single combine athletic test. So obviously the the athletic numbers were off the charts, very high character grade, and the big question with him was the poor medical grade. I think he missed three seasons. He ended three seasons on the uh, with season ending injuries. So uh, very interesting guy. But here are my notes. Lined up a middle linebacker in their 4-3 front and in their 3-3 nickel package. Plays stacked. I mean, stacked is you know, behind yep. the line of scrimmage. Uh, Plays stacked in, in the box and walked out in the slot. Shows very good play recognition and consistently displays quality instincts for the linebacker position. He does a good job of keeping himself clean with the use of his feet as well as with his hands. And he navigates through traffic very well and is always around the football. Both things that are he's, we've, he's we've, done here. we've been able to see him yep. do this. And this is another one. Is always square in the line of scrimmage, and he fits the run very well with good hat and hand placement. He is never out of position when it comes to, to, to tackling. He is always square to his target and doesn't seem he just doesn't seem to, to lose his leverage. Uh, Ike Reese has always been a big fan of, of that one trait for for Jordan Hicks. But uh, back to the notes: repeatedly defeated lead blocks, whether they were fullbacks, tight ends, or pulling linemen, and he made plays on the ball. He knows when to pull the trigger and attack the ball downhill. Very reliable tackler that gets his man to the ground consistently. A rangy player that makes plays from sideline to sideline with a high motor. A very fluid athlete. Displays the quickness and agility to stand out at the NFL level. Can play both in man and zone coverage and stays on the field in sub packages. Displays good instincts in coverage. I, a lot of positives. And this is me wondering why. Are there I any love negatives? <laughs> <laughs> good instincts as a coverage player and has the ball skills and catches what's thrown to him. Hits blitzes with speed and with power. Was really impressed by him in games against Kansas and West Virginia, but was less impressed in my third watch against Kansas State. Almost was a different guy, but after watching more games, I felt increasingly better about his NFL potential. Overall, I said he's got the ability to be a very rare breed in today's NFL in that he can hit, he can run, he can play in the box, and he can play in space. 
Durability and consistency are the major concerns, but he sure has starting potential and can play early on. And he has a great personality. Hey, it does. Well, but, I wrote, I, so I wrote all this. This is all post-dated. This, uh, it's all in uh, May of 2015. So uh, those are my notes. You mentioned something there. Um, the trigger. You said, you, no, you, you said he repeat, repeatedly uh, uh, defeated blocks, whether they were fullbacks, tight ends, and, pull, and pulling linemen, and always made plays, right? Right. Is that an instinctual thing? Is that something that a guy's just kind of born with? Or does he? can he learn that over time? Where he's like, okay, here, here's how they're playing this, you know, this run fit, you know, and, and I'm supposed to be here. I just shoot the gap, you know. To me, because he seems like he was always in the right place in the right time. And is that his instincts or is that his his his, his tape study? I think it's both. I think that uh, his instincts definitely lend him to be able to be in the right position consistently. But then also, I've seen players develop and get better at that trait. Michael Kendricks is one example. Uh, a guy that has gotten better at taking on blocks and, and beating blocks. And there's lots of different ways you can, de- you can defeat blocks. It's not just you know stack and shed the guy, but also just using your hands to keep yourself clean. And that's something that Hicks showed you know throughout his career at Texas and a guy that was I was very, very impressed with from the jump. Just uh, you know talking to him, getting to know him off the field, I can't imagine him doing a, an NFL interview and not acing it. So yeah. sometimes there's things that are just the eye test, the smell test, talking to a guy I, i'm sure he had to be a guy that I'm, I'm, i don't know how he I, i'm sure the medical grade obviously hurt him that was with, the big with thing the injury like you said the durability could he play down to down could he be a two down three down linebacker but just knowing the kid getting to learn him his work ethic i mean i'm not surprised to see where he's at but he just first nine games of the year he was everywhere and he chris chris stevens and i were talking about who's who was the emotional leader of this defense this year we were trying to get a name who who, who a guy just grabbed the team and it might have been Jordan Hicks. It might have been the guy because, like, no one, no one expected a young rookie to come in and really play as well as he did. So to see him just flourish and do as well as he did, I think it really helped ignite the entire team. And, and I would agree that it's impossible to think that this kid would have gone into interviews during the draft process and not impressed. And, right. Uh, to me, if he, if he had a clean bill of health, you know, and was and started fifty games in his career, I would bet that he would have been a first round pick. We didn't talk to him last year, correct? No, I don't remember talking not. to him. I, I, there were there were some there were some there, there were a couple guys that got you know the cracks. how you know how it is down oh, there at the senior bowl. It's it's a madhouse. So to for for, for people down there, so we sit in this uh, you know it's a hotel lobby, and there's a couple other you know there's uh, ESPN radios down there. I think uh, Sirius Sirius is down there. There's a couple of local radio stations down there, but uh, and it's just the NFL teams are also conducting interviews with players in different areas of the lobby. So it's kind of this hodgepodge of. So much stuff going on. There's reporters who are trying to do stories. There's a couple NFL teams that were doing what we do. And then there's NFL scouts everywhere. So guys are getting pulled in three, four different directions and really have no idea yeah. what they're about to get at. Well, think, think of like uh, like an airport, <coughs> like, a, like a wing at an airport, right? It's a great where, way. Yeah, it's a, it's where a, there's just a great people way coming and going. You never know who's who. But there's there's just conversations everywhere. And so, right. you know, we could be interviewing Jordan Hicks over in this corner, but right next to us, there could be like the GM Bill from O'Brien the Bills. Be, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or it could be Bill O'Brien interviewing, interviewing right. a quarterback, but then it could be, uh, you know, an area scout from, you know, the Bucks interviewing uh, the, the top corner. Right. Like, you know, there, there's, it's just a, a constant range and of And it's emotion. funny how guys will come over to us and they'll see, well, you know, we'll have Eagles gear on and they'll think sometimes that we're scouts and they'll be like, <laughs> hey, how are you? you know, they're, they're really nice to us in the beginning. We're like, oh, we just want to do a quick interview. Listen, and then that's they, my some, hook, okay? they sometimes try get, and get guys in hey, by thinking, hey, you know, that, that we're, we're first impressions, <laughs> you know, first impressions. So it, it's, it's fun down there getting to meet the guys, especially when we were in the lobby. It's a little bit more laid back. It's after practice. Guys are a little calm. So 
it's cool being able to to get the. I remember talking. We talked to Lincoln Tomlinson, uh, first round pick right. from the from the, from the Lions, and yep. it was he just Duke guy had a lot of great things to say. It was, it's just interesting to learn, especially I love when we ask him who was the uh, who was a tough player they went against because then it's it's nice to okay you, you hear a couple guys sometimes get repeat so no question. So it will be obviously a, a very fun couple of weeks here Can't for, wait. for BT and myself. Yeah, and then. Uh, Look, we, we will be – this is the last Eagle Line the Sky podcast until the first week of February because we will be down at the Senior Bowl and at the Shrine Game over the course of the next couple of weeks. We will be on location. So there will be daily Journey to the Draft podcast, but the Eagle Line the Sky podcast won't return until that first week of February, and I promise I will have loads of new and interesting content for you there. Uh, so until then, I think that will do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. From my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you in three weeks.